Danny Cotullo is a third-generation butcher in Cleveland, Ohio, who started selling his beef, poultry, and pork items online back in 2017. But after facing issues with high shipping prices and limited options, he got to work with FedEx where they developed a specialized box that allowed his products to be shipped all over the U.S., And just a few years later, Danny co-founded Perishable Shipping Solutions, offering that same service to other business owners. And business is booming. We're talking with Danny about his journey, along with the NFL draft festivities, which at the time of this recording was happening in his hometown that very night. Hope you guys enjoy this interview. Uh, Welcome in, Danny. How you doing? Hey, what's going on? <laughs> we're we're do- going well. It's one of those days where it's it's a lot of things going on this week, as I'm sure you have a lot of things going on too with the draft up in Cleveland uh, t- tonight. My Jaguars are, are are drafting the franchise future, uh, so it's one of those weeks where it's a lot of stuff going on. Nor- normally, it's us with pick one <laughs> and trying to figure it all out <laughs> again <laughs> and again and yeah, again and again. I, I think for 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 those folks who who don't know, Danny is based in Cleveland, Ohio, and he is a diehard Browns fan. I've actually chatted with him in the past where he has called himself the optimistic, the eternal optimistic Browns fan, where he thinks that they're going to the Super Bowl every year, as you know, most sports, most NFL fans <laughs> usually think. <laughs> this and is so I wanted, finally. Yeah, it's, it's everybody's year, right? <laughs> so I wanted to bring up this really cool bio because, first of all, you're a FedEx influencer, which is fabulous. I love that you you listed that on there. But FedEx actually describes you as the owner of Cthulhu Prime Meats. You're a third generation butcher, and you took his you took your traditional brick and mortar family business and turned it into a thriving online business. Now your expertise is in perishable shipping, digital selling, and operational scaling that has enabled you to grow your business from a local company to one that successfully ships at a high volume of superior quality prime meats across the country. So now that I've sort of got all of your your, your bio and your life journey, let's go ahead and dive into how did you become a FedEx influencer? So I, I actually graduated from Ohio State and I came back to run my family's butcher shop. And what I had learned was that our family's butcher shop was actually pretty cool. And when I, when I was working in it, you know, it felt like my family business and like, oh, coming to work every day and this is what we do. But when I went away to school and what I found out from people that didn't live in the area, that what we did was pretty unique. And my friends and, you know, friends of friends wanted to experience what we had in our small town, which was that European style butcher shop with fresh meats, with homemade sausages and burgers. And so... I had to figure out a way to get the product to them. And I just started testing and going on Shopify. I was on there like 16 years ago and just started doing it. And FedEx had run a small business contest right at the height of Facebook just starting out and Twitter. And I went on to the contest. I was pretty early on on Shopify, Facebook, other social media channels and happened to win that FedEx grant turned it into a commercial and then became an influencer. That's awesome. So, so what are the responsibilities of a FedEx? And you're also an Amex influencer. Are, I would imagine those are similar responsibilities. Yeah. What's, what's been very unique about FedEx, the opportunity, um, when I first won the, the award, um, they have a great team there at FedEx. And they've had us as winners, past winners of the award, basically go out and be small business advocates for them. 
So connecting FedEx to what's going on in the world of e-commerce, because it was so different than what their traditional selling channels were. My particular niche is in perishable shipping, probably the hardest thing to ship right now uh, in small parcel. And so I was going around the country and speaking for FedEx. I eventually became on their, became a member of their entrepreneur advisory board. And I'm basically just trying to connect the small business owner to FedEx and showing them how there's opportunities within FedEx to be able to get your products directly to consumers to help grow your business. That's awesome. So you, you've actually, you said the word 16 years, you were on Shopify that long ago with an e-commerce environment. When did you sort of first realize that e-commerce was the next path for your butcher shop? So it was the, you know, I first put it up on online and, you know, like any order that you get when you go sell something online is like, oh my gosh, somebody actually wants to experience, you know, something that we made. Uh, It was pretty special. After I won the FedEx award and filmed a commercial, that was great for us from national exposure. And we started shipping a little bit um, at a heavier pace around the country, better velocity. What I recognized was that the market out there for high-quality products was really just getting started. And as more and more consumers became comfortable with buying food products online, then, you know, from my family's company, we needed to be out there selling for when that market became larger. Um, Just like how at first, nobody wanted to buy shoes online and Zappos came and made the experience easy. Um, we were trying to do the same thing from buying from an online butcher shop. That's interesting because I, when you're you're speaking through this, and now you're actually the owner of a company that helps other folks make their perishable shipping goods as well. And so, when did you realize that you needed to start helping out these other businesses, especially ones that are kind of competing with your business? Yeah, so it's interesting. You know, I have this sort of crazy life story, but. Um, I took the family's butcher shop and definitely brought us to the next level and became a national presence in, in the ship out. Now today, I, I don't own I own the butcher shop, but I don't run the day-to-day of the butcher shop. My brother does. And I own and, and run Perishable Shipping Solutions um, with three other partners. Perishable Shipping Solutions was born out of these conversations that I was having with other small business owners. Hey, you're able to ship steaks. Can you help me ship my ice cream? Or can you help me ship my sausage company, can you help me do this? And I was going around the country talking about these things, didn't necessarily realize that I was becoming a consultant and being an expert in the space, but quickly did, um, after the first year of doing it, um, recognize that I could really take that and run with it. And Perishable Shipping Solutions, which I'm the chief client officer and founder of, um, we we help other businesses, both small, mid-sized um, and of course, some large companies as well, be able to ship their products directly to the consumer. So I'm taking all that knowledge that I learned at my family's butcher shop and then applying it to other companies to, so that they could be able to ship as cost effectively and as efficient as possible. 
Now, obviously, over the last year, a lot has happened, especially with COVID and the boom in e-commerce. And you said that COVID has been like pouring gasoline on your business, making you want to get more warehouses, go faster and, and, and do all the things. And you've since have raised, I think it was in last August, you raised $8.7 million in Series A funding, a first for you. And you said that the process was long, it was complicated, it was challenging, but you wanted to put smart money to work. How have you used or plan to use those funds that you secured last year? Yeah. So, you know, it was a, it was a long five years till we got the funding for sure. <laughs> four and a half years, I should say. Um, <laughs> as you well know, being an entrepreneur yourself, uh, it's a long journey. Um, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely not a short sprint. It's definitely a marathon. Uh, once we Very were true. able to secure a funding, um, what we really wanted to do is up our level of resources so, you know, that's people. Um, so we, we brought in a new COO, um, Stephanie Riffle, um, who had, originally was the senior director of operations director over at Chewy.com to be able to help us take our operations to the same next level that she helped at Chewy. Um, we're also just hiring everywhere around inventory, supply chain, customer success. We're just bringing in experts in the space to be able to help up-level our game. Um, for us, it's also the physical footprint as well. So we're identifying new warehouses in New Jersey, in Texas, hopefully in the future in some other locations around the country to be able to shorten the transportation time so that we could be able to add less coolant to the box, which makes it more cost effective and help our brands be able to grow faster without having to spend so much in the packaging cost. Hmm. That, that makes a lot of sense because, I mean... With your your previous experience with shipping your own goods and then now trying to help other companies, it's just a matter of just getting those smart bodies in there that that know that have been experienced and can bring that extra experience not only to you, but to all of your additional customers that you picked up over the last year. Now, on FedEx's Making It Work podcast, you also say that COVID was a way to jumpstart D2C for new companies with e-commerce as the way to get your products into consumers' hands. But you also said with bigger companies coming into the mix that I think a lot of larger brands aren't doing this, meaning e-commerce, out of fear. Why do you think these larger brands are being a little more fearful versus the smaller versus the smaller brands who are just jumping right into it? Yeah. So when you're when you're small, <laughs> you can pivot faster. So <laughs> these smaller <laughs> mid-sized brands, one, they're they're competing for self-space. So imagine you have um, an ice cream brand, you have 24 flavors. It's difficult enough to get four of your flavors to be in a Piggly Wiggly or in a Kroger, um, Costco, you name it. So like you get your four to six flavors in that shelf space, and it's difficult to get your other flavors that you want consumers to try so that you could be able to grow your presence. E-commerce allows you to take what flavors that the consumers already know about, but also add your entire collection to create demand so that you could be bringing that back to your B2B business. And so for small and mid-sized brands, they see e-commerce as that healthy way to create brand presence and be part of that marketing cost. For a larger company, there's a risk because they are selling the product in so many different places at so many different prices that once they go online and sell it, they're really committing to a cost that's obviously going to include different things in it than when you ship it directly to a Walmart or to a Costco. So it's just different for them. 
Um, so it takes a little longer for, you know, in our sales processes, we work with larger companies or larger brands to be thinking about how is their e-commerce strategy going to work? What we found to be probably the most successful is for the larger brands that we ship for, like um, some plant-based burger companies, um, Cheesecake Factory and others, is really to create an experience online. So yes, you could be able to get their burgers at any store in, you know, in America right now or a majority of stores, but can you get their cookbook and their ground meat and you know maybe a side item like a plant-based cheese like Miyoko's mm-hmm. or Treeline that goes with it? Um, so by creating these experiences online, larger brands can show consumers different ways to be able to enjoy their product. That's uh, that's fascinating because I didn't even think about the aspect of, you know, say a plant-based option being shipped all over the US in different grocery stores, but what happens if that co- if that person wants more from that specific company, what can they do? Now, when some of these smaller brands are are, are coming online or are diving into the world of e-commerce, are there any common denominators that that they should be focusing on, uh, especially when it in with respect to their shipping options? Are, are there any mistakes that they're making right away? I, I heard you say on another show that that some e- some smaller brands are offering too many options and you've actually seen success with those brands offering a, a limited amount of options is that correct yeah you know just imagine you're like going to a restaurant and the menu's just too big we've all been mm. to those there's just so many choices <laughs> and you know it's almost like paralyzation by <laughs> all these choices that you have Was it, it can be the same fatigue? way online our, our attention spans are short and we want to be close to being able to make the purchase. What mm-hmm. we see to be the best is for brands to be thinking about the illusion of choice. So ice cream company, I love talking about ice cream. Uh, <laughs> an ice cream company goes on and they sell their ice cream in four packs, in eight packs, and in 12 packs. And for their four packs, they tell you there's a chocolate lovers pack, there's a fruit lovers pack, and a best sellers. And then maybe below, they allow their consumers to be able to mix and match their own. Hmm. But by giving them, by giving their consumers what the best is, just like your eyes when you go to a restaurant and you see the special menu and you want to look there first to see if something catches your eye, the consumer is the same way. Yes, they could be able to make their own flavor, make their own burger, whatever, uh, but they want to see what the restaurant recommends. And it's about the brand recommending the best pack. And so our brands that do this online, they have better sales. Um, they're able to communicate well to their consumers. And what they see is these variety packs that they create, the consumer's eyes flock to them. And it allows the brand to really understand their inventory velocity, which can be very challenging for a small company to make sure they have enough inventory in all of our locations to ship to the consumer. And, and and you sort of experienced this as well, I imagine, because you said your biggest challenge from going from shipping from one type of perishable good to a bunch of of, of different options, you also are now shipping for a, a variety of different companies. What's been that biggest pain point for you guys to to not only ship, you know, some of the, the temperature controlled items, but also maybe frozen items and, and other types of goods? Yeah, so, you know. For us, it's all about engineering a solution for our brands that we work with that works well for them. So like, let's tie in the marketing brain of those that have to go sell it. And then us being their arms and legs operationally 
we have to make sure that we could be able to accomplish it efficiently. So our sales process and onboarding is very hands-on. If you want to go tell a company how to ship your product, we're not your partner. If you want to work with us on what the best way it should be, then we're going to be the right fit so that we can both grow. And it's a pretty simple business model because the more product that you sell online, the more that we ship and we both win. So we both have stake in the game, if you will, to be able to grow your business. So we just want to make sure on our side that we could be able to handle those buckets of the way that you want to sell your product. So those scenarios effectively. So it's all about engineering the correct solution. And, and, and speaking of one of those solutions, you actually offer two different solutions on your website. One that that custom option that you were just talking about, and then another option for fulfillment is, is that you guys can actually give the customers the option to purchase different shipping containers. You, you call them not shipping containers, but uh, they called green cell foam coolers. Tell us a little bit about these and what makes them unique, because the customers can actually buy them directly from you and still handle their shipping. Yep. So we we stock two different uh, two different biodegradable coolers. So our company is, you know, I, I only get one life here. So I, I want to be able to leave a good imprint on the world. And one of the things that we are one of our mission statements is to be able to carry these biodegradable materials so that we could be able to ship things with a better footprint as far as um, carbon footprint out there. So we have the green cell foam containers. We also have temper pack containers. Um, they're both great to be able to ship your products in because they have the same R value, which is the insulated property that could be able to hold the coolant and your product in. We have different sizes that work well for different products. And so for those clients that aren't necessarily at that 200 orders a month threshold to be able to be working with a 3PL and storing your pallets of product around the country, we could be able to help you crawl, walk until you're ready to run with us by getting these insulated materials directly to your door. You could ship yourself. You could be able to use our discounted rate. And we're really going to help you eventually become a potential client for us. Hmm. I love that because you're not only just, you know, as a small business owner, I never want to, and I'm sure you feel the same, but you never want to turn your back on those fellow small business owners. And so I love that you're giving them these additional options so that they can grow with you instead of just, you know, looking at a company like yours and saying, well, maybe one day I'll, I'll make it there. You're actually helping them get there. So much so that I read this stat that from 2016 to 2019, your revenue increased by close to 1500%, which that doesn't include 2020, which I imagine if you spent, you know, five years rate, you know, going after the series A funding that you finally got it secured that that business increased last year as well. So how are you handling all of this growth? Uh, not sleeping much. <laughs> uh, no, you know what? It's it's about you know I've I was lucky. I got to grow up in small business. Um, my my grandfather was an entrepreneur. My my father and my uncle ran the business, and they they had me even when I worked for them. They had me own what I did. So if I wanted to come up with an idea, I had to own the process. I had to own the numbers. I had to own the price. So if I wanted to expand our gift box sales, if I wanted to add e-commerce, I, I had to come with it with a plan. And so I grew up in that environment. And what I learned by creating those ideas when I was younger is that you needed to surround yourself with smart people. Mm -hmm. I have great partners. Our, our CEO is amazing. 
COO, who I mentioned earlier as well, our chief development officer, Ruben, that I work with, you know, we, we, we lean on each other um, for, for definitely for smart work, but for emotional support as well. Mm. Uh, it takes a village to really grow a company. And I'm lucky that I'm surrounded by so many smart people that help validate um, what the mission is and our strategy and help move the ball forward for us. And, and that's how we're able to experience that 3x growth year over year. That's amazing. And, and I, I also read that you guys are big on data analytics. Now, wh- when you're approaching a new business or, or maybe a current client that you already have, how are you using the different analytics that you're seeing in your reporting in order to help them grow? Like you said, crawl, walk, run. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a, a fairly big data geek. Uh, so I went from pricing out the entire cow and thinking about like how much we should sell strip steaks for <laughs> if it's summer or winter. Uh, now I'm using that data in a different way, but you know, we have such great aggregate data. So we know what states are hot right now. We know what states, what cities are doing well. We know what the costs to get to those states are. And so what we could do from just even a marketing standpoint is let's say 15% of your orders are going to New York City. We see the average for brands that are in your industry to be 17%. Well, then you know you have a bigger market to be able to go after in New York. Maybe there's areas of the country that you know you are doing, you have a higher than percentage than, than what's going on, and they cost you more than shipping to Chicago. So maybe you should take that marketing dollars of shipping to Denver, Colorado, and move to Chicago, Illinois, because you're going to get better ROI because there's this big opportunity for you. And also, we know the costs are going to be lower. So it's just using the data that's out there um, specific to your brand, but also against our, our, our aggregate to make better business decisions. Data is not the end-all be-all. There's plenty of qualitative reasons why you should make decisions. But I believe that data should help support those decisions so that you're, you know, you're spending your, the most bang for your buck. I love that because as a marketer and trying to help my clients understand what they should be doing and and the things that they should be going after, I'm constantly looking for those different data points. And I, I, it didn't even, I mean, it crossed my mind, but I just didn't know how to really connect the dots between the two. But you make a really great example that if you're going to get a higher, if the shipping costs are are higher in one city versus another, you should take those marketing dollars and spend them where you're going to get more bang for your buck. And I, I love that strategy. So, so great job on that. Um, the bringing shining a little light over here while I take notes <laughs> off to the side. <laughs> now, moving on to something slightly more serious, and that is the NFL draft. It's tonight in Cleveland, actually all weekend long. Uh, as the 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 world's most optimistic Browns fan, how are you actually celebrating with, with the NFL draft in town? Yeah, you know, uh, first of all, just being able to celebrate, like not picking in the top ten, <laughs> is like just a, a major win for us. Yeah, because you actually won your first. I, I was reading because I knew that you you won a playoff game last year, but it was your first playoff win in twenty six years. That yeah. is incredible. So I'm sure that you guys are still riding well, high. I took my oldest to the last game of the year, which um, they played Pittsburgh and won to get into the playoffs, uh, and it was like. As you know, as a young person that's following sports, especially throughout like their parents, like he never really was on board with the Browns. Like, why do you follow them? They always lose. And like two years ago, we started getting into it. And this year he just like it clicked for him. 
And so he had to go through all the highs and the lows, you know, the Jets game that we lost, like maybe not going to make the playoffs. So I brought him to his first uh, Browns game, that Steelers game. And oh my gosh, what an experience. Uh, you know, I brought my dad as well. So my dad could tell him these old stories of the Browns winning in, <laughs> in the eighties. And it was just, uh, it was just amazing to be able to, to watch them, you know, really do well. Sports are one of those things that it's, there's nothing to do with our lives, but yet they're, it's intertwined and like, it's part of my family. It's part of our family's history. And it's, it's interesting how like the emotions of sports can be such a large part of your life um, when you have nothing to do with the outcome other than cheer really loud. <laughs> do, do you find that, you know, working in business, I, I know from my side of things, is sports is still that sort of ultimate connector. It's that ultimate handshake. So from like your, your business practices, I, I'm curious, would you, or, or do you actually do business with say like a Steelers fan that 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 owns another company or is that just out of the question for you listen i ship for plant-based meat so like i have no qualms <laughs> i'll ship for anyone <laughs> very very true put, if it puts food on my family's table i'm gonna do it no, right I, take their money i guess <laughs> you, you know what i learned the most about sports especially about football is really like watching the way that coaches coach and leaders lead um, both like individual players and then also the way that, you know, coaches, you know, the way they run their teams. I always found it to be interesting as a, someone that went to Ohio state, um, Trestles from my hometown of Youngstown, Ohio, and then watching the difference between him and urban Meyer and the way they led. And there was like something to be taken from both of them. Um, urban not being your coach. Um, it was just interesting the way that urban ran his company, ran his team and how he viewed the different departments and how he let leaders lead and how he gave people the, the keys to, to be able to, to run their, their own sort of section of the team. And there's something to be said in that and something that I need to learn from and could be able to apply right back into business as well. Absolutely. I, I could not agree more because the, the the tone around Jacksonville has changed drastically. I still have to sort of pinch myself that Urban Meyer is our coach and I'm sort of close to Gainesville. So not a lot of Gator fans are, are typically happy that that Urban Meyer is is now back in the North Florida area, especially after his stint with Ohio State. So it sort of brings it uh, full circle, I think, for a lot of them. Um, but it, it definitely is a, a big tonal change around the organization, around the city. Like everybody, we're calling this Trevor Day. Like the, the, the bridges in town are lit up in Clemson colors because it is such a, a life-changing thing. And sports just help in affects all of the surrounding businesses and relationships. And so I just, I, I love being able to tie sports and business together because I do think it's such a great sort of initial handshake. And, and, and speaking of, I guess, you know, sort of the, those events that bring people together, how, what is the city like right now in, in Cleveland, you know, with the draft going on, I heard that the structure that they built for the draft is the largest that the NFL has ever built. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's pretty cool. I would say the energy is very palpable. It's, uh, you know, it's, it, it reminds me of when LeBron was here and there was just that enthusiasm around the chance to win. And, you know, Cleveland in, in the surrounding areas are very proud cities and they very much believe in the hardworking mentality of like, we deserve this. 
how we put in our time frame <laughs> cheering for that team that, you know, had no chance of winning year after year over year. And um, it, it's interesting to watch the city sort of come together. Adding on top of that, of course, you know, we're really just coming out of COVID and, you know, those that have been vaccinated are able to get out a little bit. We're, we're starting to see, you know, the community start coming back together. So how cool is it for us for our first spring after COVID to, to really come back into an event that we could be able to celebrate as well? It's not something that we are talking about last year's struggles, but we're talking about the future and how we're adding to the to the team that already won a playoff game and that has a chance to win a Super Bowl. So That's I think it's awesome. pretty special for the city. Absolutely. And I've heard, you know, Cleveland is one of those teams that is sort of in, and like the Jaguars, you're sort of the butt of the jokes for, for a very long time. And the city itself is sometimes a victim of the butt of those jokes. But I have heard just incredible things about how the city of Cleveland has really sort of, you know, risen up and they they have all these little trendy spots around town. And so how it makes a, a bunch of sense for, for the NFL draft to be there tonight, knowing all of the history that they have, you know, with the NFL. And, and speaking of that, how are you actually celebrating tonight and sort of the weekend? Do you have like a special menu planned? Uh, d- tell me a little bit about how you're personally celebrating. Yeah. So um, my oldest who also likes to to cook and eat um, as much as I do, which is <laughs> you know, right about the max. Uh, we've already been going over uh, while I've been at work, what are the wing plans for tomorrow? So um, interested. I think he, he wants to do some sort of blackened Cajun wings um, with a homemade Ioi sauce that we could be able to dip to, uh, and then also do <laughs> some sort of mac and cheese dish that he found on TikTok. Uh, I don't know. Oh, tick- wow. Tick- TikTok food is like a whole nother generational thing that my son is just totally into and learning all these cool, unique recipes. And he always wants to try it. He's like, dad, can we try this stack? Can we try that? I'm like, sure. Oh, that's amazing. Cause I, I'm, I'm right there with them. My, and I got my mother in, involved in it as well. She has a composition notebook, like one of those old school, like high school notebooks. And she just sits and watch TikTok recipes over and over again. And she just writes them down in her composition notebook in order to try. But we get to, as, as her kids, we get to be the taste testers. So, so we get to take full advantage of it. Now, bringing, wrapping it, it back, back up, let's talk about what's next for Cthulhu Prime Meats. Let's talk about what's next for, for parable, Perishable Shipping Solutions. What, what do you have planned for the, the rest of this year? Yeah, so for, for Cthulhu, as I can speak for my brother, uh, we've, been, we've been growing on Amazon. So we, we also <laughs> ship on Amazon. We have a pretty thriving crab legs and main lobster tails, believe it or not. Wow. Um, there are a bunch of shops, one of the first people to go on Amazon and, and start shipping that. I'm really just growing all the different channels. I This is the convenience is here to stay. So whether it be on Amazon or Shopify, but also on other selling channels as well, utilizing the technology that Instacart, Uber Eats, and DoorDash are starting to put into play, um, we're just going to be all for it. So for Cthulhu Primates, just trying to utilize the technology to get our, our product out to as many consumers as possible. For, for perishable shipping solutions, it's really just identifying those markets that I mentioned before that we could have new warehouses in and, and really trying to find clients that we can partner with to look ahead of where the market's going to be. Uh, mm. we're, we're still right at the beginning. Um, and COVID was an accelerant. And we started to see more and more people become comfortable with getting food directly to the door. I just mentioned Instacart, Uber Eats, 
I, mean, I can't even imagine my parents ordering off DoorDash before COVID hit. <laughs> and now, right. and now it's such a regular occurrence for people to get it, you know, for lunch or for dinner. And so as more and more people feel comfortable buying food online, we're going to see the business continue to grow. And so, you know, I, I look forward to thinking of strategic ways to keep those costs down as we get the efficiency of the volume. Especially with Amazon, that that is, I think, an, an incredible turn because I would have never really imagined like ordering crab legs. And I think you also <laughs> sell turduckins on during the holiday season yep. on Amazon. Is there any sort of, I guess, uh, shipping tricks that go on with Amazon? Or is it just like a oh, simple yeah. online order? So, uh, yeah, so you have to know a little bit. Um, so I have <laughs> you know, some experience on that, on, on how to sell on Amazon as far as growing your sales. Um, that we would be able to help you with over here at, at Perishable Shipping Solutions. But Amazon is definitely a different market than just putting your food out there when it comes to your own website. I, mm -hmm. I look at it like this. Amazon is a marketplace and there is a whole generation, a whole subset of people that aren't Googling products. They're looking on Amazon. So right. they find you on Amazon and maybe they order three pounds of crab legs or one tomahawk steak or something they want to do to try your product. And then once they fall in love with you, you have an opportunity to bring them back to your own website to offer larger purchases once they fall in love with your brand. So Amazon and Shopify or Amazon in your own marketplace, I think is like the best way to be able to grow your brand and your business. And what we're starting to see is Amazon starting to become 30 to 40% of our clients to ship on both platforms. Wow, that that's interesting. So you're you're going where the fish are, and with Amazon, and then you're trying to bring them back to your own owned media media Come programs. On in. And I'm back into the family, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. All right, Danny, we we got a couple minutes left. Where can people find more of your work? Follow along your journey and and, and do all those fun things. Yeah. So for the butcher shop, you can go to catulloprimeats.com. You could also follow me. I still run the Twitter account. At Catulo Meats, watch me do some fun cooking videos with my son Antonio and Luciano. Um, you could also, if you have any questions on our Perishable Shipping Solutions company, go to goperishable.com. We're there to help any size brand, small, big, large, you name it. We're here to help you. We want to help you grow. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Danny. And good luck at the draft tonight. I know you'll be staying up a little bit later than what you typically do on a draft night, but uh, just be, be sure to look out and, and, and cheer for that number one pick. Thank you. And congratulations. How easy is it? You already know who you're going to get. You don't even have to worry. Right. The it, easiest it's great. draft pick ever. <laughs> In 2017, after that season, having to wait that whole night to, to get our draft pick was miserable. I kind of liked, you know, especially when it comes to the draft, I kind of like picking early and you get the night over with and then you can go to bed. I love it. Just remember, you deserve Trevor. You yes, go with them, all right? <laughs> thank you. And you you deserve your, your your playoff wins. Hopefully, you know, good things for the Browns. Just just slightly, just the Jaguars slightly better. Than, we'll that's see all AFC for. Championship. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll co-host it. There you go. <laughs> thank you, Danny. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. As always, you can find each show I publish along with more insight over on my website at digitaldispatch.io. If you like this podcast, and I think you'll love another show I host, Cyberly, which covers the attention economy, B2B marketing, and how it all ties into the world of logistics. That show airs every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here live on Freight Waves TV. 
There are also some links to my social media accounts along with my products and services that might be of interest to you found in the show notes or again over on my digitaldispatch.io website. If you found this episode interesting and or entertaining, be sure to share it with a friend. Word of mouth is the best kind of marketing and since podcast discoverability has and remains an issue in this medium, I trust that folks like yourself will share it with those who would also find it useful. Until next time, my name is Blythe Brumleaven. I will see you real soon.